Hi, everybody, and welcome to another exciting, educational, comics-loving edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. Delighted on this episode to be talking with educator, uh, I'll say author, you've been doing writing along the way, along the journey, artist, you've been doing arts as part of your process too, uh, Jared Heising. Jared, welcome to the, the pod space. Thanks for inviting me to the pod space. Um, what a, an incredible place to talk about art and literature and all of the things. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for saying yes. And always glad to connect and, and catch up. We've been doing that for a little bit. Um, so I wanted to start out by giving you the chance to share a little bit about your background as a teacher. And these are some things that I also don't know the details of about your journey. Yeah. So curious to hear that. Um, so I, I could do the, the the very long story and talk about how I came to teaching, um, but basically I've been an English teacher in some capacity, and I'm including my doc student voyage uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. in that for for 15 years now. And um, I started out doing my master's at the University of Tennessee, and then I got hired at a middle school and became department head and and did all of those things. And then I went to a different middle school for a bit. And uh, I was very fortunate to work with um, some great people there who thought I was pretty neat and um, elected me to be a teacher of the year uh, for the PTSA for the state of Tennessee, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was a huge honor and um, really indicative of the way that I view teaching. It's like a, being of service to the community so uh, that's that's a piece of the pie, the piece of the puzzle. But primarily, I was fascinated with like helping people understand the world in different ways. and And that would be like one of the most important messages that I would have said as a teacher in my voyage, but also knowing that there's that rhetorical side of teaching English. Mm -hmm. So I was probably more into the rhetoric than I was into the literature because I really wanted my students to know that their words had power and yeah. that they, they can, they can use their words to make change, to, to evoke change, to, to advocate for the world that they want to live in. And I think that we're seeing that in Gen Z, this like awakening of their rhetorical power in, yeah. in various media spaces. Um, so then I, I taught English at several then after the award, I decided to take on a new challenge and go to high school where I taught at Hardin Valley Academy for five years. And everything that I thought I knew about teaching was challenged and encouraged. And I worked with several exceptional people there who, who really helped me develop as a teacher. <laughs> and that journey just never ends, does it? It's like, no, nah, nah. every always year, developing. Yeah, always developing. So um, yeah, then I worked on a project with uh, Dr. Lauder just for fun, and we met up, and he's like, hey, you ready to come back and do your PhD? And I was like, I guess I am, <laughs> which I think is how, uh, you know, that and then like the British military or the British Navy used to, you know, coerce people into joining the military with a drink. There you go. There you that go. That's how PhD journeys start, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully not continue. Hopefully there, there's not a lot of heavy drinking involved and, and things like that. That's the question. The, the pandemic was rough, but no. That's true. That is very true. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so it sounds like we have some overlaps. I'm about, I think, 17 years in now. Mm -hmm. I was a middle school English teacher for about eight years, uh, did the Ph.D. voyage, as you said, and currently high school. So, um, yeah, I think we have some some really nice overlaps. And uh, Brooke Bianchi. Pennington. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're friends. Oh, she's fabulous. Um, she's one of those those m miraculous people that I work with that helped me see teaching in a new light. Nice, nice. Yeah. Dr. Bianchi Pennington. Um, I cannot speak highly enough about the way that she carries herself, the intelligence and empathy with which she approaches students. She's fabulous. Absolutely. Yeah. We had uh, intro to the doc world classes together once upon a time. And she invited me on a podcast that she was doing. So this is a really nice like cycle here. Full, full circle. Yeah. One of the cool things, and you can jump in here, that I loved about having taught middle school, high school, and now at the collegiate level is seeing the progression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Literacy. Because I've, I've been in the literacy game from like middle school i mean i even did an, a pull out in an elementary school during my internship so i've really seen sort of the development of literacy all the way mm -hmm, through the mm -hmm. level and it is a it is a fascinating beast absolutely absolutely so you and i also have a common interest in comics yes. visuals i'm so curious about how that has played a role in your classroom practice that is a really great question um I've always been fascinated by art and the way that art has an ability to evoke feelings. And I know that writing in its own right is art. Um, I, I'm, I'm a more of the like loose interpretation of what art is. I think that if you enjoy the creative process, it's art. Um, so when we talk about comics, we talk about this like multimodal approach to to addressing things but you also think about the way that they were perceived when i was younger more mm -hmm. this nerdy subculture but what we're seeing now i know everybody likes to talk about the golden age of comics but what we're seeing now is like a, a just this incredibly diverse group of people creating art and i think it's beautiful mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but more specifically what what brought me into the comics is when I was a kid, I grew up in the Netherlands and Sweden. Oh, wow. And we bought a house and they didn't clean it out as well as perhaps they should have. But what was left behind in one of the drawers were these Dutch Spider-Man comics. But I couldn't read Dutch. Right. And I didn't know where to find comics. But I can remember staring at this comic and being like, this, this is this is beautiful. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I want I want to read this. Um and so so to me, that was like my formative memories. Like, I've got to figure it out. And when I finally found an English comic, it was Calvin and Hobbes that my parents bought me. And who doesn't love the the whimsical Calvin and Hobbes? It is a theme on the show. It is absolutely a theme. Lots of people out there have been touched by Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Gal Calvin and Hobbes is the gateway drug to comics. <laughs> That's right. Right. You're, you're the first Dutch Spider-Man that I've had. But Calvin yeah. and Hobbes is a... Is one of those that if we were coding this, it would be a definite theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Qual coding, insert theme. Got it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Got it. Um, how did it work in my teaching? I believe was the original question. And for me, 
I primarily ended up using them in supplementary capacity. So as pairing with mentor texts, like knight plus mouse were a natural pairing. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I went to Hardin Valley Academy, it really kind of ramped up because Dr. Bianchi Penning was department chair. She also implemented comics into our summer reading. And so some beautiful summer reading texts, American born Chinese shout out to Mm -hmm. who is fantastic. Um, He's a big fan of the show, by the way. I'm just kidding. I don't don't know that he knows about it, but yeah. Not not yet. Right. Not yet. (laughs) Right. Right. You have to manifest his fandom. Right. That's right. (laughs) Um, and several other comic-oriented texts that that were used in the classroom. And I, I don't want to pigeonhole comics as they were really nice to help, you know, struggling readers, because I feel like that's the narrative that's dominant right now. It, yeah. With English teachers, oh, well, it's great for struggling readers. No. Yes, they are. That is proven. We have research to back that up. However, they're also an art form unto their own right and deserve Mm -hmm. scrutiny of being the primary text and deserves the, the, and the scrutiny maybe is the right word, but also comes with that label of like negativity, but no, they deserve the adoration of Mm -hmm. scrutiny. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, that really took a ramp up when I came back from my dissertation. Um, I really realized that was a piece of the pie that I hadn't done perfectly in my teaching. And when I've been teaching grad classes, I have incorporated graphic novels regularly as a means to help the next generation of teachers see that they are worthy of of this adoration and this, I don't know, they, they deserve to be the centerpiece of things. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. So is that that part of what you're currently focusing on in your research? Or I know that you've also done some work with critical digital literacy you were uh part of an edited book project that i did and as we were saying earlier i went really hard on the edited book world for a while just just wrapped up a little bit of that um so so what's the current sort of text and idea the current focus is is media literacy and the way that the teachers are are dealing with the world as it stands and, mm-hmm. and it means reckoning with social media and it means reckoning with with the worlds that our students are engaging in beyond texts that are traditional and making space in the curriculum to to answer that call um what's really fascinating is you mentioned your book project and i don't know if you know this but uh, when i was working on your book chapter I had done the lit review for a previous course, but I was thinking about, well, what do I write that's worth a lick? Um, (laughs) The the question we all have to answer, right? Right. right? (laughs) And I had done the lit review and I started putting all of the advice from the different authors of how to tackle media literacy into a chart. And I went to bed and I woke up at three in the morning and there was this this idea in my head of the vibe check which Uh is like 
a combination of all of my years of teaching experience, like racking my brain, trying to keep up with student vernacular and all of the slang. And yes. I'm like, vibe, yeah, I would just vibe in Heising. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. What does that mean? Um, <laughs> right, right. Let, let's check the Google. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Let me Google this real quick. Yeah. Uh, but no, I would always tell my students, explain it to me like I'm stupid. And they would be like, okay. <laughs> um, so when I thought about the vibe, I was like, the biggest thing that's missing from classroom acronyms is this bias piece. We aren't talking about it for many reasons, some of which being the predominant political ideology prevents us from talking about bias. Mm -hmm. I think that that's counterintuitive to a productive democracy. And so sort of my, my foundational, like, idea is that teaching isn't just about getting kids jobs it's about making sure we have empathy and love for one another and making sure that we understand all of the the multitude of perspectives that exist in the world yeah yeah. so my my current focus is centered on this this vibe check which was inspired by writing for you (laughs) oh well great great yeah i'm I'm so glad so glad i could provide a a spot yeah it was it was a fun challenge that came at the right time that, that, you know, I, I think reading the chapter over, there are some places where I, I drift into, you know, too many tangents, but, uh, but absolutely the clarity that came from the vibe check, which is this idea that when we're online, we need to interrogate the voices, their intents, their biases and our biases. And then most importantly, the equity piece who's missing from the conversation and what can we do to better make sure that the conversation is inclusive of, of all of the perspectives. And that that's really kind of maybe what's next for me is like, how do I take this idea, build it into, to something that goes beyond just the classroom? What, what can I do to, it's, I got into teaching because I wanted to help the future and I wanted to help kids and I wanted to, to do all of that. Getting into the PhD shows me that this message is bigger than just school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, this message is something that people kind of need to hear. And, you know, people close to me don't reckon with it in the ways that they should. Yeah. We have a personal responsibility to to make sure that we're engaging in ethical ways, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the companies. <laughs> oh, definitely. All the blame on people, but companies also have to be ethical. True, very yeah. true. Yeah, I uh, I had Michael Norton Dando on, and um, we're planning. I was on his podcast; he was on mine, and so we're planning a double drop of episodes at some point. And just thinking about that speculative aspect of education as seeing the world the way you want it to be and communicating that message, uh, trying to make a better, better space that might get into what I'm asking in the next question. So feel free to just say IBID if, uh, (laughs) if that touches, but uh, one of the things that I experienced as a doc student was this thing of, Oh, I wish I had known about, or, Oh, I wish I had thought about when I was a teacher and when I was a young teacher. So it's the back to the future question of if you were to go back to a younger Jared um, with a piece of advice, knowledge, wisdom, 
that's related to education. I mean, there, there are things about the stock market or, hey, you might want to buy toilet paper in uh, the winter of 2020, you know, things like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> all of those things. But I'm just curious what you would share with a younger you. Uh, definitely the toilet paper thing. Uh, yes, uh, that's a big one. That's a big one. Um, younger Jared was not the best student uh, when he started. When he started school, he was very much focused on social things and sports and uh, all sorts of other things. Um, school is something that I got better at as I got older. But when I, I always wanted to be a teacher. Like ever since I was twelve, I knew I wanted to teach which would be shocking that I wasn't great at school. But when I got into college, I really started getting better at it and learning to study and learning to, to do all of the things that, that great learners do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when I got into the field of teaching, I was like, this is what I've wanted since I was 12 and I wanted to be the best. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I wanted to, to really like, I was competitive. I was, I wasn't a division, a former division one athlete. And I took that same approach to teaching. And although I think that that served me well, it also came with a lot of performance anxiety during evaluations. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's this one memory that's seared in my head. It, it's late December. I hadn't been evaluated for the, that, the final time that semester. And I knew mm-hmm. it had to be coming but I also knew that the closer we get to Christmas, the more chaotic students are going to get and the more checked out people are going to be. And for Pete's sake, it's Christmas, like whatever. Um, I broke. I had like a panic attack. I couldn't see. I had blurry vision. I had a headache. I crawled into the closet of my classroom and I like laid down and cried from anxiety. Um, and that is one of the like breaking points for me because I was like, I can't do this job anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that at the end of my middle school experience, it was leave the career, leave the profession or, or try something else. And going to high school wasn't just a lifeline of like, Oh, a fun new challenge. Like I built it earlier. It was also connected to this, like, I have to try something different when mm-hmm. I'm done. Yeah. Um, and then coming back, and I already mentioned how revelatory working with a, a great supportive group of peers was, including evaluators who actually broke down the process for me and didn't make it a gotcha. Um, right, right. Who really made it a conversation, a dialogue, a work, uh, an understanding of improvement. And I would do the same in sports, right? And I do the same when I draw. When I draw, I'm like, oh, that was miserable. That line work was awful. <laughs> Love it. Let's draw the next one. Why do we not take that same artistic approach to teaching? So True. for me, go back to Jared at the beginning of the career and say, yes, I know you want to be the best, but it's art. Teaching is art. Mm-hmm. You are making art. You cannot be perfect. You cannot <laughs> Very true. run the route perfectly. You can't. You cannot beat this other teacher off the line because that's not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And 
as I have aged, I have really embraced the the lens of the artist in almost everything that I do, personal relationships, friendships, work, the idea that, hey, this wasn't great, but I tried, I threw it out there and this is what I learned from it. And I think that it, you know, also makes sense as researchers yeah. to, assume that, to assume that I'm going to be great at research right off the bat is foolish. To assume that I'm going to be great at anything the first time I try it is foolish, but by looking at it as art, great. It it takes the that anxiety away from me. Yeah. It lets me put myself out there in in fun ways that um, encourage feedback, and and that's really where growth is. So there has been a lot of growth throughout the last ten years uh, of my career, and. I really wish I could go back to Jared at, at the start and mm -hmm. say, embrace it like art. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. The playfulness, the, the playfulness of teaching and centering what is human in teaching and in academia. It's, it's so important. So very important. I think that we're drifting away from it. And that's a big concern that I have moving forward is like when we when we script what what can be said mm -hmm. when, when we script what texts matter for starters on the vibe check we're absolutely removing equity from from the equation mm -hmm. and all of the the powers that be decide that every person read the exact same text we're not just at the same pace at the same pace, at the exact yeah. same literacy level, uh, we're saying to them, this is the reality. But imagine how much creativity we're limiting. Uh -huh. Not to mention the, the systemic injustices, but the, the creative thoughts that come to people at three o'clock in the morning because they were challenged to do this task that's well outside their comfort zone how do we how do we make education that mm -hmm. how do we give them real media experiences how do we let our students engage in the world knowing that it is scary and dangerous but that's why we're here as professionals we're not here to protect you from that we're here to help you understand how to navigate that yeah yeah i love that because so much of what i think is rooted in in safety we we want American kids to be to be safe. If we can just molly coddle these books into their hands, by gosh, we'll be safe. From what? All of these ideas are on the internet. They're in meme form on their phones 24-7. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're seeing it. Let's put professionals in the room that have empathy, that have heart, that have creativity, so that they can guide these students into these discussions. And then set them on their path to know that their words have power. Yeah. Love it. That's kind of, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm hearing the implication section of your chapter five already. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing I gotta it. got to do the study first, though. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you've been circling a lot of ideas, though. It sounds like that's been part of the process. Yeah. 
Yeah, there is this, uh, it, it, within media literacy specifically, there's this debate between protectionism and then like teaching the literacy as as Kellner and Cher, the seminal scholars would argue. And I know the last question is like, what are you ruminating on? Well, I just mm -hmm. read, I just finished Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, which is a, a book that attempts to chronicle the uh, focus deficit that we have the prevalence of ADHD, mm -hmm, how it affects mm -hmm. things. And as a part of this process, he goes to an island for three months and locks himself away from the internet. Nice. And then chronicles his journey while interspersing interviews with researchers. Um, and it is kind of this like weird ethnographic scientific journey into where has our focus gone? Mm -hmm. And when you sit down to write a five paragraph essay, I can focus and I can write a five paragraph essay. When you sit down to write a dissertation and you have all of the world's knowledge at your fingertips, that focus that I had for what would take an hour isn't sufficient. Mm -hmm. And then I got a nasty case of COVID that kind of knocked me down for um, months. Yeah. But yeah. I also couldn't, it affected me in ways that I, I don't think I can tangibly explain. Um, just it, not, it was rough. But I mm -hmm. think I had that brain fog for months. And I'm not sure I'm even back to normal. But um, I do think that there is this natural discussion between the dangers of living in a digital era and then what can we do as teachers to to encourage students to use their voices for change. Mm -hmm. And I think that that tangible debate is a fun place to couch a dissertation to see what, what teachers are thinking and how are they interpreting it, especially in light of some of the more dominant media policy changes that are happening specifically throughout the South. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, no, after you. Yeah, so just contextualizing the political within this realm is, again, just another thread that makes this way too large of a topic. <laughs> <laughs> you, you find the piece, you pull it out. Yeah, absolutely. Everything is a, a large mosaic, so it's good to be part of the conversation. Yeah, so where are you headed towards in your um, sort of understanding of the media at large and all of that? Yeah, I think that um, there's definitely there's conversation to be had for critical. And I've been thinking a lot about critical in terms of thoughtful, mm. um, critical analysis of visual text, critical analysis of uh, text itself and what we mean by text. Mm. And I think that, you know, there, there's a partisanship, there's a, a contention in our society right now. And I want to put good will on that and into that conversation, but that's hard to change without thinking about the way people approach questions in life. And uh, I think there's a younger generation that's picking up on that. And I think that, you know, we're kind of at this point of in the next few years, I think we'll be even more at this point of questioning 
what kind of society do we want and what do we believe? And, you know, it's not us versus them. It's not tribalism. It's not uh, my sports team versus your sports team. And we can say that a lot, but I think that ultimately it's going to come down to questions of how do we ask questions? How do we approach questions? How do we approach topics and view them as complex realities and try to be compassionate people about it instead of trying to win an argument or win a vote? And that's that's a lot to think through. And it's, I read this fascinating article that um, tried to understand why things go viral. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they analyzed the emotional state of the things of the people posting during a viral like are you more likely to share this when and they found that the predominant viral emotion was anger Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so when we have media entities that make money off of clicks and engagement and they know that anger is viral we are monetizing anger across the globe yeah and this is so counter to my sort of care bear teddy bear teacher heart (laughs) right let's just work to understand each other yeah (laughs) guys um yeah that's it's such a tough a tough space to be yeah but but i think the fun fight (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, and I think the more people realize that and the more people are critical about their responses to media, I don't see that changing on the the corporate side. I change. I see that changing on the consumer side. And then corporate has to follow up and go, oh, we we need to find a new algorithm here. Suddenly people are resisting the what we're tapping into with the lizard brain and people are saying, hey, no, no. I'll shut you down if that's what your media outlet is about. I won't be part of it, which I think we're seeing with places like X or Twitter. I think we're seeing (laughs) people start to say, no, not enough, Um, but hopefully more to come. And I'll send this out on Twitter, by the way. I'll I'll post a link (laughs) on Twitter to be like, hey, by the way. (laughs) Uh, there's a whole nother podcast for us to talk about that debacle. <laughs> All right. So it's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, thank you, Jared, for talking with me. Did we miss anything in the interview as um, we, I think we solved the world's problems, which is yeah. wonderful. I did this with Barbara Dell the other day. I got to the end of a talk and I was like, I think we solved the world's problems. Um, so pleasure to do that again. Yeah. Uh, what an honor to be here and, reconnect and talk to you it's always a good time um thanks for being a part of my journey um i think that we did you know absolutely let's embrace complexity let's think about the vibe let's uh let's work to put empathetic teachers in the classroom love it love it that that seems a good place to stop and uh glad to have you back on anytime thanks looking forward to it Yeah, yeah. Best of luck as you um, crawl into the corners of libraries and put together the the diss and uh, all of those things. Diss track dropping 2024. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Sounds wonderful. It will be a a love song to not academia. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sounds like a great title. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks again. 